As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Friday, August 19th. Al Melk, you are here with Eno Saris, and you are not getting the usual dulcet tones of Derek Van Riper. He will be back in his accustomed spot on this show next week, also with the uh, with the live stream, which uh, we're not doing this week. But Eno and I are here to discuss your waiver options for this coming weekend. Uh, so, Eno, if you're ready, we'll just dig right in. Uh, we've got one really big prospect call up to talk about and another one that I think we can, we can start to anticipate. So let's actually start with the one that I think we can anticipate Corbin Carroll. Uh, he's certainly been talked about before on this show and a lot on the prospect show on Tuesdays, but there was a report, uh, from Nick Picoro in the Arizona Republic that came out on Thursday, uh, stating that Mike Hazen, the, the GM of the Diamondbacks, says that he wants Carroll up with the big league club this season. So do you think now is the time to try to add Carroll? And should we be doing this in all leagues, regardless of size? Yes, I'm excited about this guy. I think he's either the best or the second best prospect in baseball on my list, which I, it doesn't exist, but <laughs> it's a, there's a, there's an informal list in my head. I would just say that, you know, for example, Francisco Alvarez is in AAA. He's really young. He's a catcher, though. And the prospect list that you look at will often um, give ca- catchers and shortstops uh, more value because they're for real life. And this is a fantasy show. Um, and so, you know... The value that Gunnar Henderson can give with his glove and the value that Francisco Alvarez can give from his position, not so super useful for all of us unless we're in two catcher or 30 team dynasty leagues that need a shortstop. But uh, in any case, given those things, Carroll is my favorite prospect in the minors because he he gives you contact. He gives you patience. He gives you speed, and there's so many people looking for stolen bases right now. And he also gives you power. And given his set, I feel like he will he'll do well when he lands, uh, you know, in Arizona. So I'd I'd rather have him on my team than on somebody else's. 
Yeah, as would I. And there have been a good number of people who have gone ahead and taken the initiative, picked him up earlier this season. And I'm not just talking about dynasty leagues or really deep leagues. That that roster rate is creeping up. But I still think for somebody who is now reportedly maybe not imminently going to be called up, but should be called up maybe within the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, I think that number is going to rise very quickly. So I agree. There's there's definitely some urgency to uh, trying to add Carroll this weekend. And before we get on to some of the bigger names who were called up in the past week, I want to talk about somebody since just we're on the Diamondbacks. Um, talk about Stone Garrett. Uh, which is not somebody I would have guessed would be near the top of the show, just even going back a few weeks. I figured maybe we'd see Dominic Fletcher before we'd see Garrett, much less Corbin Carroll. Uh, But Garrett has had a second really good season in the minors, very old for the levels. He was in double A last year, former Marlins prospect uh, who was let go, picked up as a free agent before uh, 2021 by the Diamondbacks and really did everything just as well in AAA this year as he did last year in double A, a little bit of a power speed combo for Garrett as well. So getting some playing time right now, do you see that lasting, especially if Carroll is on the way? Yeah, it gets a little bit crowded there. And, you know, there's there's some arbitrage opportunity because, again, the, the real-life prospect lists care a lot about his long-term uh, viability. And so they'll care that he is old for his levels, as you mentioned. So they'll care that, uh, you know, he was good in those levels, but only about 10% better than league average. Um, when you get to kind of placing this team on the diamond, though, it does get a little tricky because if Corbin Carroll is up, you've got Varsho, you've got Thomas, you've got Jake McCarthy, and you got Stone Garrett, and you got Carroll. That's I think five for four positions. Eh, that's doable, I guess. You just play Cattell Marte more uh, at second and DH, I guess, and. Um, and you just rotate them through and and play some. It, it does mean that all of them get a little devalued, right? Because you're just not going to get that juicy starts every day, plays every day kind of uh, playing time from any of them in, if, if they're all up. I would say that if anybody falls back, it's going to be Stone Garrett because he's had a long documented history with contact issues and even... In the big leagues so far, he's whiffed a fifth of the time. And in the minor leagues, he had really high whiff rates. So if he starts striking out 30% of the time, it'll become some sort of platoon possibly with Jake McCarthy, where Jake McCarthy is the left side and Stone Garrett is the right side. So definitely the riskiest profile in that entire outfield because Alec Thomas can really play uh, center field defense. And even if his bat isn't exactly where I think it'll be eventually, uh, I think it's a better bat and a, and a better piece for their future than Stone Garrett. So clearly there's in the short term some NL only appeal here for Garrett. Just, you know, it's, it's the lowest bar possible because uh, those of us who have mono leagues, uh, mono league teams. Just want to uh, might play. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. And he's doing that so far. Seems like he should for the, for the near term future. D- is this somebody you think just again, because of the power speed profile that he's, he's shown the last couple of seasons uh, that it's worth maybe just putting a nominal bid on him in, in a 15 team league? I would, I, I, this would be, I think picking up Stone Garrett is fading Corbin Carroll and saying, oh, I'm going to get two weeks before Corbin Carroll even comes up, I think. Um, and so 
I would do a make good bid on him. I would I would put a dollar or two on him. Uh, but I think going heavy in on him with the Corbin Carroll news is is uh, probably short sighted. All right. Well, I would definitely agree with that. But you know, just an intriguing player in an intriguing situation, at least for uh, for the next few weeks. Super hot to begin. I just I think that you know he's aggressive and he's in his peak season. Right. He's twenty six years old. Uh, he's an aggressive hitter and he's at his best. So, you know, that's why he comes to the big leagues and he's ready. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he's a better long-term asset for the Diamondbacks. And it doesn't mean that he's going to play over anybody, I would say, other than Jake McCarthy. All right. Well, uh, yeah, it's something to watch if you've got McCarthy, which I do, by the way. So um, <laughs> let's get to some players that I think have stirred up a lot more excitement uh, this past week. Brent Beatty, Brent Beatty is a really, really interesting one. I mean, not just because he's a top prospect, but there's been kind of a whole almost soap opera <laughs> this week. When, he's not uh, coming Luis up. <laughs> yeah, the, the Luis Guillorme went on the IL. I think it was back on Monday. It seems like weeks ago. Uh, and there was a source saying that they weren't going to call Beatty up at all this year. And DVR and I talked about this on the Tuesday episode. I, I'm feeling a little bit smart because they said I'm a little skeptical of that. <laughs> and then uh, the Mets uh, maybe maybe look a little bit smart on Wednesday when they actually did call him up because Eduardo Escobar then went on the IL. So I think regardless of whenever either of those third basemen come back, um, the job has to be Beatty's because now that he's up, I I don't see him like not just hitting his way into this lineup game after game. Yeah, I mean, the, the opportunity is, is there because I think Escobar and McNeil uh, have enough defensive versatility that they can play other places. They can platoon. They can uh, help with the depth. They can play in the outfield. McNeil, for one, can play in the outfield. Escobar can play second. So uh, right there you have uh, some pieces you can move around. I think he'll do it. I think he'll do it. There's uh, there's always that risk, you know, in a long-term league, you don't care about that risk because you're like, oh, I'm, you know, I've got him for next year. I'm not depending on him for now. But if you're like trying to win a league that's just this year, you're in a redraft league, it's um, it's kind of one of those home run swings where you're going for it. If, you, if you're going to put Beatty in there and you're, especially if you're dropping somebody else, um, there is the chance that I think there still is the chance that Beatty like plays. Okay. But Escobar comes back and they, and they try to put all their guys out there and they put their veterans out there and, and Beatty goes back down. I mean, I th- you have to, what, what, what percentage would you put on that? Uh, I was, I was being so optimistic before, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I would put that at like 40 to 50%. Yeah. Right. I, I don't... It's almost the coin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm hedging a little bit towards the let Beatty play side, but yeah, I could see it. It's interesting that he, the only thing that he really struggled with um, coming up was he hit too many grounders for a long time. And I asked him about it at the futures game and he was like, I don't, I don't really track that. I'm just trying to hit the ball hard. And yet uh, this year, the big advancement for him, at least in double a was the lowest ground ball rate of his career. Uh, and and correspondingly, the best power numbers of his career. So he gets up to the big leagues, and uh, eight of his first ten balls in play are grounders. So uh, I don't know what that means. It's not even eight of ten. It's less than that. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with small sample yeah. uh, and continue to be optimistic here. Although one of those balls, one of those batted balls uh, in his very first plate appearance was a home that run. That was awesome. What a way to start. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you were the first person, I think, to impress upon me uh, the utility of max exit velocity as, yeah. as an indicator. And he hit one. And so that shot placed him in the top 10% of all major leaguers who have had a plate appearance this year or who have had a batted ball this year, uh, which I think is just spectacular. I don't know if it means anything at all. Uh, can we take anything away from that? Well, you can look at something like at Fangraphs, they have a 70 raw power on him. That's the 20 to 80 scouting scale. That means it's elite raw power. They give him game power of 45 to 60, which I think describes his career perfectly. I'm saying that he's even saying, he, I want to hit the ball hard. He hits the ball hard. We know he hits the ball hard. He has this raw power. But the question about the shape of his career will be how much he taps into that raw power. We've seen the reason why Max. some people say max exit velocity isn't useful is because there are players that have high exit, max exit velos that don't turn it into game power. We're watching Cabrian Hayes right now to see what happens with him. Um, but generally, I like it because it tells us something about the ceiling. So the ceiling for Brett Beatty is a 30 home run hitter because he can hit the ball 113. And there's some work by Rob Arthur that says that any ball over 108 changes your OPS projection. So it's it's meaningful no matter what. And um, I think it describes his upside. Yeah, very cool. And also very cool to point out that, uh, yeah, the the uh, launch angle is going to be critical for him. So if he can just translate what he did in double A this year that he hadn't done previously in terms of hitting some fly balls, that's going to make a big difference. Uh, well, let's go uh, over to the Bronx, uh, look at a couple of, of players that the, the Yankees called up this week, uh, Esteban Florial. Now, this is not a, a major league debut like it was for Beatty, but could potentially be really impactful uh, with Florial coming in uh, 14 home runs, 32 stolen bases at Scranton. Well, it's Scranton Wilkesbury this year. Uh, so again, another player with power speed potential, but in the waiver column that I just filed right before recording this show, I, I went a little bit easy on the bid recommendation for Florial because Giancarlo Stanton is probably going to be back in a matter of days, just a few days. And I, I'm just not sure if that means that Aaron Judge goes back into center field. Uh, I'm not sure where the playing time comes for Floreal. And best case scenario is maybe he plays pretty regularly, but then you've got Harrison Bader yes. coming back in September. So how much do you think that should dampen our enthusiasm when we're figuring out bids this weekend? Well, if we're all going to be dampening enthusiasm let me just throw in his strikeout rate which is really high <laughs> <laughs> yeah that too he had a 31 percent strikeout rate in triple a and uh you wouldn't expect him to do better than that in the major leagues and if he does much worse than that then he's almost definitely going to have a very low batting average and uh you know may not make it as a major leaguer i think for me right around 30 percent is the line and uh, so I'm not I'm not super excited about uh, his prospects. Also at 24, uh, he's not necessarily young for his level anymore. Um, he's had some bad ball events in the major leagues and has not had that sort of 113 for us yet. So um, I'm not uh, super excited about and I and also not that excitement uh, th- that not that excited about Oswaldo Cabrera, the other call up there even though Oswaldo Cabrera probably has a slightly better chance at playing time because he only has to beat out one player as you mentioned Florial has to beat out 
potentially Judge Stanton and Bader uh, to to and Hicks, I guess, to get his playing time. It's a it's way more crowded uh, for him. Oswaldo Cabrera just has to beat out IKF and. It's possible, but he also has a 26% strikeout rate. And, you know, when when a player has like like really, really low isolated slugging percentages and speed and then has like a 200 uh, isolated slugging in the minors, I don't I don't always I don't always believe the power until I start seeing some barrels at the major league level. You know what I mean? Because I've yeah. seen plenty of fast players in the minors turn singles into doubles just by being aggressive just by, you know, running hard on a single and then, you know, being fast enough that they can turn it into a double. And you do that enough times and all of a sudden your isolated slugging looks good, but you still only have eight homers, you know? Um, so I, I see him as fairly punchless uh, in terms of power, good speed, uh, won't make as much contact as Isaiah Kainafalefa. So why would he be necessarily be better than IKF? All right. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But here's the, <laughs> the argument I tried to make in the waiver column. Uh, and, and actually, I'm going to add an element to this argument that I, I didn't make in the column, which is that I have this recollection. This is probably just very selective memory on my part, uh, you know, but that some of the, you know, better power hitting Yankees prospects to come along in recent years didn't hit for that much power uh, in their minor league system, particularly at Scranton. And Aaron Judge, for example. Now, I'm not going to make the argument that Cabrera is Aaron right. Judge, uh, but Aaron Judge didn't put up the greatest power numbers in the minors. But of course, all the scouting reports indicated he was going to hit for huge power in the majors, and of course, he has. Uh, but Cabrera, I, you know, from all indications, he doesn't have that much raw power, but he does hit a lot of fly balls, and it just seems like that could play pretty well that's at Yankee true. Stadium. Ah, that's an interesting thing. And and the other thing I guess I just noticed is a switch hitter. Uh, so may fit into the lineup better. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. So I think it's just a question too, of what these, you know, organizational philosophy kind of things that do the Yankees want to keep kind of Falefa in the lineup because, you know, he is that bat, uh, in the lineup that's, that's going to make a lot of contact. It's not necessarily going to be very hard contact, uh, but you know, he'll give them that he'll give them, you know, some, some good defense, uh, you know, or are they just going to say, you know, we've really been struggling. Let, let's just load up with as, as many potential power bats as we can. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, the way that I could see it going is they give him a few starts this weekend. And those are pretty meaningful starts, right, for for how for his future and for the and for whether or not they believe in stick him. And if those starts go really well, then his price goes up really hard. <laughs> um, so if you're in a daily league and you have a spot that you're kind of just prospecting, you're just trying things out, then I would put Florel above Garrett. You know, um, I don't know if I'd put him above Beatty, but I would I would take a chance on him. But if the weekend goes really good, it could just be two or three games and you know, judge comes back or somebody comes back and Stanton comes back and he's back down, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. So, um, I tend to be more cautious as you can tell, uh, on, on most of these guys. Yeah. Well, I think that's warranted. We, we as a community get very overheated about prospect call-ups. So, <laughs> uh, I think that that's a, a good, you know, it's kind of good to put the brakes on that sometime, especially when you have reason to, when you see a situation like this, where the roster is just so crowded and it's kind of hard to, to see the, see the path um, towards, towards a, 
were a consistent role. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to talk about a couple of Phillies uh, to target this week. Uh, both of these players are really pretty broadly available. I just I really like the Phillies schedule this week. It's all home games, a seven-game schedule, four against the Reds, three against the Pirates. No, uh, no matchups, no pitcher matchups in those schedules. That That's really going to scare you as a fantasy manager. Uh, so Derek Hall, who is actually on both the CBS most drop list and the ESPN most drop list right now. And he is a little bit of a funk, 5 for 25, although one of those five hits is a home run, but he's striking out a lot, doesn't walk. But he does have this great schedule. Uh, and so what do you think about if you're, needing a first base upgrade or first base replacement. Who interests you more hall or somebody who's on the most added list in Joey Manessis? You know, that nationals park is a little bit underrated when it comes to, uh, helping homers leave the park. And I really like that Manessis is not striking out. I don't like that. He's 30. Uh, but if you look, it's pretty clear that he just didn't have the power uh, to to go along with his position for a long time and that he's really tapped into something in the last three years, four years in the minor leagues. You know, a guy who's striking out 14% of the time with a 7% swing strike rate, who's in a park that's only slightly worse than the one Derek Hall's playing in. I don't know. I might take Manessis, man. I, I, I like what Hall's doing, but... Uh, do you know when Harper's back? I think it's a couple of weeks at the earliest. Okay. So that not, that's a good thing that you brought up because in bringing up this week's schedule, I did frame this as, as kind of just a one week streamer thing. But if you have a longer term need, that could really be a tiebreaker. Yeah. And all the, <clears throat> he has not hit the ball 113 like Beatty, but he is barreling the ball and you know put alongside his his power the power expansion after he got to uh Boston in the minor leagues i just uh there's something something i like about Manessis' line that um it, you know there's a there's a little whiff of Schwindel about it and that's bad news you know going forward but Schwindel in his first year was definitely useful and, uh, yeah, um, and I, I'm hearing a little bit of an echo of what you were saying about uh, Stone Garrett, that, you know, guy, very, very old for the levels, but maybe because of that experience, he's more poised to help us in the short run. Yeah, yeah, like definitely not a dynasty asset, not a big dynasty pickup, a 30-year-old <laughs> first baseman for the Nationals. Um, but uh, but uh, somebody that could just help in the short run. And uh, when I'm looking for a short run 
stats and short run uh, players like this, I can take the age off. I, I, you know, that's not as important. Short run, I want to know how much contest does he make and how powerful is that contact? That's that's pretty much it, right? I mean, I think even things like plate discipline can go out in the short run because uh, he just you just want him to make contact and and do it powerfully. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if if you need homers just again for this week, maybe just for uh, just a short term streamer, maybe it's even just for your utility slot. Hall does have a really, uh, a really nice set of matchups. And, you know, in terms of this comparison too, I mean, they're hitting with pretty equivalent power when you look at exit velocity on flies and liners. They're both like right around 96 miles an hour, which is really, really good. Uh Except Manessis is doing it, like you said, with more frequent contacts. So I think you might, uh, I think you could, you could also place them as in a little bit of a comparable spot and then just sort of stream them. You know, if Philly is, does Philly's home for seven next week? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean they're great matchups. It really stands yeah. out this week on the schedule. <laughs> maybe so, maybe pick uh, up Joy Manessis the week after that. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's a plan. That's a plan there. And so while we're on the Phillies, now this is not somebody again that you're going to be picking up if you have power needs. But Bryson Stott, uh, when you look up and down that lineup, he to me kind of strikes that sweet spot of he's available in enough leagues and actually has a chance to to contribute. Um, so what do you think about him for this week in the schedule and farther ahead? He has made maybe the biggest turnaround um, from the beginning of the season to now in terms of his chase rate. Uh, he was chasing at pitches outside the zone above 40% of the time when he first started. That was part-time work, and he wasn't really a starter. As soon as he started playing more often, he went he dropped all the way down to around 25%. Now, it is interesting, the chase rate's back up again in the last 10 games, 20 games. So, I don't know what that means, that now there's kind of, they're trying to figure him out. But, uh, generally, I like that his plate discipline has gotten better over the course of the season. I like that he has some speed. I like that he'll run into the occasional homer at home. I like his eligibilities. And I've had him on some NFBC teams as basically an MI backup that has played sometimes when guys get hurt or played on a Friday schedule when he has three games, the guy has two or the other guys, you know, in a bad park and he's in a good park. So I like him as a good bench bat. Basically. That's how I see him. Yeah. That, that fits. Uh, and you're talking what 15 team leagues then? I mean, Bryson Stott. Yeah. Though. Yeah. I would make yeah. Bryson Stott a, a bench bat in 15 team leagues. Obviously I think in NL only he's probably already gone. Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. I, I don't I don't know that I want, unless I just had an injury and, and he's replacing, I don't know that I want to depend on him week in and week out. All right, fair enough. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's a, that's a fair assessment. And again, he's got the schedule in his favor this week. So if you, you've got a roster, uh, you know, where you've got, uh, actually, I'll use my own roster from TGFBI, where I do have Stott and I also have uh, Adam Frazier. This would be a week where I would give the nod, the nod to Stott for sure uh, because of the schedule. Although, as I say that, let's go on to a couple Mariners because actually they do have a pretty nice schedule uh, this week. And regardless of schedule, I am just amazed every week when I'm putting together the, the waiver list, the waiver column list, that uh, Cal Raleigh's roster rates are still way lower than it seems like they should be. Uh, he's still available in about two-thirds of all the leagues on CBS, uh, where roster rates tend to be a little bit higher than on the other sites. 
and he just keeps hitting for power. And since June 1st, he's hitting 232, which is not great. But when you look at the catcher position, uh, there's not that many options for, for batting average. And he's giving you as much power as you know, just about anybody. I've been really impressed by him. I I picked him up in auto new um, as a as a catcher that I think I may end up cutting Yasmani Grandal this offseason, you know, and keeping Cal Raleigh. Um, I just uh, Grandal's looked old, and and Raleigh. I wish he had a little bit more plate discipline. I wish he walked a little bit more. I wish he didn't strike out as much. But at least when he hits the ball, he hits it wicked hard. I mean, 114 max EV, 14% barrel rate. It's what you want out of a catcher if you can't have a really great one, just one that at least hits you, pop you some homers. Yeah, and he is he has been doing that. Uh, and that schedule, by the way, they are all home games, which maybe for the Mariners is not ideal, but they start off with a couple of games against the Nationals, four-game set against uh, Cleveland, you know, sort of a mixed bag there in terms of the starters. We're actually going to talk about one of those starters that the Mariners are going to face this week a little bit later on. But uh, before we move on, let's talk about Sam Haggerty. He has continued to play pretty regularly, even with the return of Julio Rodriguez. He started 12 of the Mariners' last 14 games. During that stretch, he's hit 317 with a homer and three steals, which pretty much matches up with what he's done on the season. A 310 average, four homers, and eight stolen bases on the year. Uh, do you think this playing time is going to last? And if it does, where should he be added? I don't know. I don't know. I, I This has gone <laughs> under the radar for me because... He's uh, he strikes out too much. I I've sort of sorted him, you know. Like I, he's come up a couple times and struck out a bunch and didn't you know play that well. And I've I've sorted him as a as a kind of a backup uh, fourth outfielder type. I still think he kind of is that because all the projections say he's going to fall back to below average work with the bat. If you look at you know even some traditional things like batting average on balls in play, he's near four hundred. You know, he strikes out 25% of the time, has a 310 average. That's not usually uh, something you see together. None of his batted ball uh, stats are that exciting. Uh, who is he playing over? I don't I don't even really understand it because the outfield goes Julio, Hanniger. So he must be playing the other outfield spot that Kyle Lewis was going to play some of. Yeah, so it's yeah, Kyle Lewis, um, Kalnick getting sent down. When uh-huh. Rodriguez came up, I think that was really the, Winker, though, kind of the key key thing. Winker's you know kind of toggling between outfield and DH, and so the other player I was going to get so to Santana's that I think is not playing is exactly he's the other one who's and you can see that continuing on. You can see Santana sitting so that Haggerty can play play some outfield. I mean, yeah, between um, the two yeah. of them, I I guess I would uh, still say Santana has the better projections, but I guess. You know Santana. You know they're both they're both um, they're both uh, switch hitters, and Santana's projected for better. Uh, but Santana's hitting worse now and offers less defensive value. So if you're putting your best defensive team out there, then Winker's at DH, Santana's on the bench, and uh, and Haggerty's out there. So I I guess it might continue. I'm just not that excited about the bat, and I would say it's for 15 teamers who are desperate for steals. Um, he, he could be a guy that you put at the bottom. I like to do chains. Again, this is, I know this is an FBC, but like you can also think about it non-FBC, where you're like, if I'm if your waivers run nightly or weekly, you know, put him at the bottom for a dollar, or put them at the bottom of your waiver claim claim list 
so that if you are looking for steals, it goes, you know, Corbin Carroll, Florial, Stott, and then ends with Haggerty. You know, just so you, it's like a kind of a make good thing. If you miss out on all the other guys, you get Haggerty for a buck. Maybe you get a couple stolen bases before something else changes on that roster. That is very good and very specific advice. Because yeah, that, that kind of process really matters on, on Sunday night. You know, the, the, that uh, contingency order, it, yeah. it matters. So I I like that a lot. Um, I, I would just add one thing, because I, I agree with everything that you said. I mean, there's very little raw power there. Um, I have thought of him as a fourth outfielder, because that's that's what he has been. And he's gotten sent down, and he's, you know, he's never had this extended time. And a lot of You can barely call it extended, because yeah. it's been a couple, just a couple of weeks. But the one thing is, you know, that 310 average, there's clearly going to be some regression there. But he, he does seem to be pretty consistently uh, predisposed to hitting light drives. And I think that, you know, he could be like a guy who hits 280 the rest of the way with some steals. And that's that's useful. But I think how you've couched it in terms of at the bottom of the chain, that's that's probably the, the right approach with, uh, with Haggerty. Uh, well, let's just talk about one other hitter. And that is Christian Arroyo. And I'm just going to be really honest here. Um, I live in Massachusetts, so I watch the Red Sox more than than any other team. And Arroyo's been playing a lot, but he's still just fantasy-wise really been under my radar. And on one of the broadcasts this week, they were really kind of going on about how well he was hitting the ball. And so I was surprised to confirm that on StatCast and see that, yeah, he's averaging 95.5 miles an hour an exit velocity on, on flies and liners. Uh, he's hitting 365 since the all-star break. That's not with really very much in-game power, but there's playing time. There is batting average. There's maybe the potential for a little bit more, more power. Um, how interested are you in Christian Arroyo? I've been watching him in the box scores I, and I, and I really wanted to see what happened with Kike Hernandez came back. Right. And it looks like he's still playing. It looks like Duran is the one sitting. Yeah. Which, is is he going to go down, or has he gone down? Uh, not yet. He hasn't. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. And it, it seems fairly resilient. If you if you have to make your decision Sunday, then the next few days will be me- me pretty meaningful, because Kike is back like two or three days, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you can wait, uh, then, then uh, happily wait, because the next three days, if he starts three times, then Duran's going down. <laughs> <laughs> uh that that's really the the it's not that they play the same position it's just that kike plays the both of the positions and if right. you know and kike is probably just going to play and if he's just going to play and he's playing in center field and Arroyo's is playing at center then they'd rather just have a defensive minded uh center fielder lying around as the fourth outfielder maybe so that uh durand has some things to work on yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, as far as Arroyo is concerned, uh, we also have to keep an eye on when Trevor Story comes back because mm. that probably would mean the end of regular playing time for him, I would assume. But uh, again, it's a short-term play. I, I think There's he's. I see. There. I see a guy who's just at his peak. You know, yeah. if you just look across everything, he's chasing less than he's been chasing in the last three years. He's making more contact than he's made in the last three years. His strikeout rate is the best it's been in the last three years. His barrel rate is almost the best it's been in the last three years. His max EV. You know he's peaking. Um, it's it's uh, it's a little bit of a backhanded compliment to say someone who's seven percent better than league average is peaking, but um, you can take advantage of that too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, like I said, I wasn't really expecting to find the things they were saying on the broadcast uh, confirmed by by the stats. So there's there is something to what's going on. It just 
like you said, may not last for very long, uh, but it's, it's relevant for us in the short term. All right, well, let's take a look at some starting pitchers, and we will start with Dustin May, who's pretty sure been discussed on this show, uh, on this particular episode of the show in recent weeks. He will be returning this Saturday against the Marlins at home. That lines him up to face them again next weekend in Miami. So not that I think that matchups are necessarily anything that's super relevant for Dustin May. And he is widely rostered already. But now that he's back and he's not universally rostered, should he be? Yeah, 100%. He's got to be. He he almost broke my stuff model in the minor leagues. I have a minor league stuff model and he was number one. Um, you know, in the PCL. So he, he, I think he's going to go absolutely back to the version of Dustin May that was striking people out and not the one that came before that. Because if you think about it, he's had a long time to be working on the shapes of those pitches and, you know, those, those, those shapes that he had that where he was so successful, uh, they're still there. So, um, I, I'm, I'm hundred percent in, I know he didn't have great fastball command and you're not, don't normally have that coming back. But especially given these matchups that he's starting with, like he jumps into he's he's to me almost matchup uh, independent. All right. If you have any doubt, yes, he starts with two very, very favorable matchups right now. Uh, well, that, that was maybe a little bit of a, of a softball, uh, but. I'm less sure about Mike Soroka. He uh, is on the most added list. So, uh, you know, it's it's not news to, to very many people, uh, if anyone at all, that he's uh, on his way back soon, could be back in early September. Uh, what is your anticipation there? Do you think that the Braves go uh, six man? Do you think Jake Odorizzi is just keeping the seat warm for Soroka? Or do you see maybe a different role for him? And are you even interested in him for the last few weeks of the season? Yeah, I am. I. It's a complicated. He's not situation. excited. <laughs> no, I like him. I, in fact, a, a major league player once texted me from camp uh, when nobody knew who Soroka was, and he was like, "This kid, Soroka, you gotta, you gotta watch him." Um, but uh, I would. What I'm just nervous about that whole situation. He could be. I think they. If I was running their team, what I would do is basically have almost like a six or seven man situation where like I just want to have a bunch of guys with bulk behind my aces. Because what I've seen in the in the postseason is you might take your starting pitcher out in the second or third. That's I mean, that's we're getting that aggressive with taking pitchers out. And if you need to take your guy out in the second or third, you need to have a couple of guys who can go two or three that are ready to go behind them. And so I would be almost have like my ace maybe my number two, and then the other two spots in the postseason rotation are piggybacks. And if that's the case, then I want Strider pitching three or four innings and Soroka pitching three or four innings and Odorizzi pitching three or four innings, and that's awful for every fantasy owner. Yeah. So you're talking about that like in September and not not October. You're saying that, that could be a I, I, It's sort of like how I would prepare for it, right? Because yeah. how do you keep Odorizzi as a bulk option? You have to keep him stretched out. So you have to pitch him at least two or three innings. And to get the best value out of a guy who you're pitching two or three innings, you almost need to piggyback them because if you're just using them in mop-up situations, you can't plan that, right? You can't you can't keep him on a schedule in mop-up situations. So the only other option is that they don't care about Odorizzi. Odorizzi was just a get-us-there guy, and Soroka replaces him, and Odorizzi basically just turns to mop-up guy. 
that's a possibility. I would say that's that's basically the fifty fifty possibility. But the fifty the fifty where it's where it's a six man is not good for anybody or piggybacks. That's not that's really bad for everybody, including Soroka owners. Yeah, yeah. So uh well you are saying there's a chance that there's a better scenario. Uh but uh Yeah, because Odorizzi's not uh, that good. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good uh Good caution, you know, to put out there if you're thinking about uh, speculating on Soroka, because again, he's on the most out of the list. Uh, you're you're having some some company if you're you're ready to do that. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Let's take a look at some streaming options for the week. Uh, maybe there's more than just stream appeal here. In fact, I think that may be the case with Michael Waka, who just made his return uh, this past weekend against the Yankees, had arguably his best start of the season and just got a, a bunch of whiffs. I think it was 18 was the total out of 89 pitches, uh, a bunch on, uh, I think it was the cutter. Um, and I don't know, what do you make of that? Is that, the velocity was was up, particularly on the cutter. Uh, is I mean, do you think there's something different about post IL Michael Waka? Is it an outlier? Don't know, and just play it cautious. Uh, it 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 was indistinguishable in the model by stuff. His stuff was indistinguishable from his other starts uh, by stuff plus. Um, I think. Uh, He's a very frustrating player, and I mostly just stay away because, yes, he has great starts, 
I think it's the starts where he has really good command and he keeps them. He pitches, he throws all three pitches and, and it really mixes them up well. But at his heart, he's a fastball changeup guy, which is frustrating. That doesn't always lead to K's. And uh, there are matchups where he just gets destroyed. And I just, I just feel like rostering him as you just don't know what's, what's coming. You know, going to Tampa Bay yeah. seems like a good matchup. Well, Tampa Bay had him. Maybe they just know exactly what he's going to do, and maybe they whoop him. I mean, that's totally possible. I had not considered that angle. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that's a good reason to be a little, little more cautious than maybe I was recommending in the column. So, uh, I, yeah. I like uh, the next guy on our list maybe the most out of the next group of names. Uh, you mind if I jump ahead? Ross Stripling. Yeah, right ahead. I like Ross Stripling a lot. He was one of the bigger stuff improvers over the course of the season. He's changed... Uh, he has a new changeup, and uh, he's also showing his better command. So he's truly kind of one of these four-pitch guys uh, that I think can uh, suppress the really bad outings by, you know, mixing it up and 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 showing that good command and and keeping batters guessing at least on terms of pitch type. Michael Walker to me is kind of a at his heart a two-pitch guy, and two-pitch guys sometimes just get blown up. I think four-pitch guys. You know, maybe they don't have the same ceiling sometimes because I don't think, you know, maybe Waka's changeup is probably better than Stripling's. Maybe, um, you know, maybe Stripling's fastball is not as good, but he has four and he can, he really mixes it up. So I don't love that at Boston uh, setup there, but uh, Stripling has survived some pretty decent uh, matchups recently. And uh, I'm, I'm believing in him. Yeah, well, to do as well as he's done in the AL East this year, uh, he's definitely had to handle some some good lineups. Uh, let's go with a couple of Cubs. Uh, and by the way, just yeah, to go back to Stripling for one second, you mentioned at Boston, he finishes up with uh, at home against the Angels. Uh, the Cubs this week, they've got uh, a series with the Cardinals and then uh, a road series at Milwaukee. So I don't love that yeah. two-step at all. No. <laughs> but you, you got a, a couple pitchers who benefit from it uh, with the two starts uh, who have pitched very well lately, Justin Steele and Drew Smiley. What's your level of trust, and do you prefer one over the other? I'll take Steele. Um, Smiley's a, a really weird look for people because he's a extremely over-the-top lefty that doesn't have any wiggle, really. <clears throat> But I think sometimes people square it up, and uh, the model isn't that big of a fan of his. Uh, the model also doesn't love Steele, but the difference is the last few starts, uh, he has been improving. They've been his best uh, starts. The last three starts have been his, his best three-start stretch of the year in terms of combining command and stuff. Um, and then there's also just, he throws this cut-ride four-seam that... Um, is unique-ish, or it's rare, and it's possible my model doesn't know everything about that yet, and it's something that the Cubs are buying into. Uh, so there's just enough there. There's intrigue, a new you know, a new kind of pitch, new type of fastball, um, and also peaking uh, in the model at the right time. So I'll take steel if I have to. Stripling as a two-start, I think I prefer, even with that at Boston. Uh, but I'll take uh, Steele right behind Stripling if I'm looking at two starters. All righty. And Aaron Savali, he's got uh, actually just a one-start schedule this week uh, at Seattle. We'll see him pitch against the White Sox on Sunday, so that'll give us a little bit more information on him. Uh, still, you know, fairly fresh off of the IL. And unfortunately, the only 
outings that he's had since coming back and both been against Detroit. So I don't know <laughs> how much we should wait that, but he has performed really well, especially in the last start, six innings, 10 strikeouts, uh, just one run allowed, one walk allowed. Uh, so how do you sort all that out? He's in the middle of a possible uh, pitch mix change. And I'm always more sympathetic to pitchers that have a good run of success after a pitch mix change. I say possible because he switched from a slider to a cutter, and Lord knows that's a really difficult one to figure out. <laughs> uh, but I think when you look at vertical movement, I think they're different. <laughs> uh, the cutter does drop a little bit less than a slider, which I think might be a good thing for him because he has that big curveball. Uh, so having a cutter instead of a slider might be uh, the ticket for him. Um and uh, I just like the fact that uh, there's some change there uh, that corresponds well with what he's doing. At Seattle's a good a good matchup among the single starters. Um, I I think I'd rather have him than Waka. Uh, you know, I think I might even have him than Soroka because I'm going to get some starts before I get anything from Soroka. I don't know how long I want to wait around. You know, especially for a guy that's been hurt a couple times coming back. Yeah, and I mean, and you know that Savali, as long as he's effective, he's going to go fairly deep into the game as well. You know, Soroka, we don't know if he's just going to go three, four innings at a shot. So he's like, yeah, he, that's he's like that stripling guy too, where he's he's got a ton of pitches. So you know, I, I like that for uh, keeping the the huge uh, blowouts uh, from happening. And one thing too that I really liked about Savali a, a few years back was that he was not allowing very much hard contact, and that's something that he he seemed to kind of lose the last couple of seasons, and uh, that's been a, a plus for him the last few starts. So uh, something I find encouraging there. Uh, let's uh, turn to the Mets rotation with Carlos Carrasco now on the IL with back spasms, so they'll need a replacement for at least a few weeks. I'm presuming it's David Peterson. Twitter seems to be presuming it's David Peterson. Uh, Peterson will almost certainly pitch on Saturday because the Mets have a doubleheader. But whoever comes out of that situation and inherits Carrasco's start the next time around gets the Rockies at City Field. So mm. do you think just for that alone, uh, we should add Peterson to this mix of one-start streamers to consider? Yeah, that's pretty tasty. I mean, I think he's uh, fairly low stuff and low command, so I don't love him uh, writ large, uh, Peterson. But uh, City Field is sneakily now one of the three or four pit- most pitcher-friendly parks in the big leagues. You know, St. Louis, I, I, I have a big shrug emoji next to right now uh, because it's been playing very differently than it has in the past. Um, and then San Francisco just changed their 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 entire setup. I mean, they changed the triples alley. They've they've changed a, a few things there. Um, I'm not saying that uh, City Field plays uh, more pitcher friendly than San Francisco, but it might be they might be closer than people think. So if you've got the sort of new San Francisco, then you play your you play guys there. And uh, I want to play Peterson at home. I'm a little bit more nervous about him on the road. All right. Well, uh, yeah, watch that over the weekend. See maybe what moves the Mets make after that doubleheader on Saturday. That should uh, give us enough time going into Sunday Fab to uh, make a more informed decision. And uh, we'll just wind up with one more starting pitcher before we look at a few bullpen situations. Uh, Max Castillo uh, appears to now be in the rotation for the Royals after coming over at the deadline from the Blue Jays. Some pretty good strikeout numbers in the minors. Uh, How do you like him against the Diamondbacks at home this week? 
I like him. I think that's a that's a decent matchup. He's home. Uh, the the uh, pitching plus model has some interesting things to say about him, which is that he throws his four seam and his changeup the most, uh, but he gets his best stuff numbers on his breaking balls um, that he doesn't throw and his sinker. Now uh, he doesn't seem to be able to command those other pitches, so I don't know if he's a pitcher that's changing from one thing to another. That he used to be a sinker guy is now a four seam guy or whatever it is. Um, I, I find this intriguing uh, in the model that uh, he's seemingly throwing his worst pitches the most often, um, in, at least in terms of stuff. I don't trust Kansas City to tease that out of him. Especially, I think on the pitching front, there are they are a bottom half uh, pitching development squad right now. So nope. yeah. it's kind of an interesting place to be where you're like, uh, you know, could he be different? Could he be good? Yes. Do I trust the team that has turned out Brad Keller and Carlos Hernandez and Chris Bubich? And <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> that was rude. <laughs> We're getting more for our money here than just talking about Castillo because these are all pitchers we've you know, talked about in recent weeks. Well, I don't trust any of them. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, right. I, I like. There's some things I like about Castillo more than any of those guys. I mean, for one, you've heard me say that I like pitchers with a lot of pitches. He seems to have a lot of pitches. I just I want to see what his pitch mix is going forward. All right. So uh, if nothing else, maybe a watch list candidate with that start uh, against the Diamondbacks. And uh, let's just talk about a few bullpen situations. It's not been a particularly eventful week in that regard. Uh, but I think definitely the, the headline uh, situation here is the Yankees. Uh, with Clay Holmes going on the IL. It may not be a long-term stay for him, so that definitely impacts my level of interest. But also, I'm not really clear on who would get saves in the interim. My gut is that it's it's Scott Efros, partly because of just the, the skills that he's shown so far this year, but also he did get in that uh, bottom of the ninth uh, tie tie game situation uh against the Rays on Wednesday. Mm. So um or I should say top of the ninth. So didn't Chapman um, get a high leverage though too that he blew? Yeah, same game. Uh-huh. So he came in, in the tenth uh-huh. and uh then wound up you know vulturing a win out of that. Stupid. So yeah it's it's a it's kind of a crazy situation. I, um, I just just really quickly like I think it's crazy how different the Yankees are from a few weeks ago, even in my estimation, <laughs> like, like <laughs> yeah. before Michael Kim came down, went down, I was like, Oh, look at this bullpen. Oh, look at this team. It's a juggernaut. Now I'm like, do I want the Yankee closer? I think <laughs> I'm going to bet on Chapman. I don't know why they, they seem to like him still. I'm going to bet on Chapman. That's my bet. All right. I don't he really have not, much to add to that. I mean, the, the stuff is obviously, st- I think, still there to an extent. It's it's really just the the combination of minus command and a little bit lesser stuff has been really rough on him. Yeah, and uh, what I was just gonna say is he is uh, not very available. Yeah. So the advice that I gave in the column, which is it was kind of a weasel way around, really not knowing what to do here, but just saying that Efros is the one who's available. <laughs> Yeah, Chad Chapman's probably not even available. So throw throw a dollar at Efros and uh, cross your fingers. I like the other the next name you've got better than Efros. All right, and that is Jason Adam. Uh, yeah, sell me on Adam because he's gotten three out of the last four saves for the Rays. I do really like the skills profile a lot, uh, but I just think it's so hard to predict whether there's going to be a consistent closer on that team and and who it will be at any given time. 
Well, I just, I prefer to bet on a righty. Uh, yeah, it, that can go out the window if you have multiple lefties, as the Rays do. But I think generally, um, you know, what I found when I looked at it a while back, and I haven't refreshed that data, um, is that teams prefer to have righty closers about twice as much as you'd expect, given the population of lefties in baseball. Um, so I think they still do prefer righties, just because you mean that means you're you're right on right more often, right? Um, and there are more righty batters. So I, I think that's part of it. I think Fairbanks is working his way back. I think Pache has, has played well, but he's also really lost the zone sometimes. And he's a little bit more up and down. And with Fairbanks' injury, I think you go slow. I think Adam kind of uh, percolates to the top there. Just as you said, three of the last four Tampa Bay saves, I would say something like that going forward. It means he's not going to get every single one. Um, you can't, you can't wish for that anymore from most of these teams. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. In the race, especially so, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess I can at least get on board with saying that, uh, I'd rather bid a little higher on him than, than either F Ross or, or Chapman, uh, you know, just because there's, there's a lack of, uh, a lack of certainty in that Yankee situation and it's a short term situation, most likely. So, uh, makes a lot of sense. Let's just go to one other situation. Probably not very many saves to go around for the Marlins right now. Uh, Tanner Scott's been getting those opportunities pretty consistently, but I was surprised to see Dylan Floro get a save against the Padres on Tuesday because it, it didn't, to me, look like it was necessarily a workload uh, issue for Scott. So is there anything there as far as you can tell? Um. Tanner Scott has plus plus stuff and minus minus command. Dylan Floro has mess stuff for a reliever and sometimes better command. I think given those profiles, I'm still gonna bet on Scott. All right. But so I can see why it happens. If you look leagues. at you look at Floro's like <laughs> I have this you know this number location plus. If you look at Floro's last three starts, he has 118, 117, 127 by location plus. And I, I'm, I'm afraid to look at Tanner Scott's because they've been among the worst I've ever seen. Uh, Tanner Scott's location plus 79 in his last start, 84 a couple starts before, uh, appearances before that, 83 before that, 75. So um, maybe they're just tired of that. Yeah, all right. Well, then at least something to watch uh, over the weekend. I think I might go Adam... Floro Efros because uh, Holmes is coming back, and with Floro, if you guess right, you might get the the guy who gets the most saves going forward. Yeah, uh, and I was going to say situation to watch over the weekend. Uh, unfortunately, over the weekend, the Marlins are playing the Dodgers, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just might have to make, uh, make, make a bid just on faith. Zero information between now and then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, Eno, thank you so much for uh, stepping in for DVR uh, on this episode. It's been a, it's been a blast. Uh, you can follow Eno, and you, you probably already do, but in case you don't, you should follow Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can follow me on Twitter at Al Melchior BB, and uh, that's going to be a wrap for this Friday episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Uh, Derek Van Riper will be back with us uh, for this uh, show next week. Uh, But until then, everybody, have a great weekend. We'll be back with you on Tuesday.